Now, uh, I got to make some statements up front because it doesn't matter how long you've been in church. I'm probably going to say a lot of stuff that's going to confront what you've heard. If you've been in church for a year or if you've been in church for 20 years, um, but bottom line is you have to go with the Bible. Um, and, and I'm not obligated to uh, say what I think is right. I'm not obligated to say what you've always heard growing up. And uh, nobody in this room is going to be able to stand before Jesus and say, well, this is what I was taught as a kid, so I just stuck to that all my life. Uh, you know, once you hear truth, whether it changes it or not, uh, changes what you have believed or not, uh, we've got to go with the truth. Amen? We've got to be people that side with the word, and I don't side with the person. And um, so, you know, at the end of this message and at the end of this series, if uh, I say something that's not in the Bible, well, then you have every right to stay with the Bible. And I would hope you would stay with the Bible. But if we are uh, going through the word and identifying some things in the word that maybe go against some traditions or some things that we've heard growing up or the way we were taught before, uh, we need to be people that will uh, be good stewards of the word that is sown. Amen? Uh, turn with me to Hosea chapter 4. Hosea chapter 4 in verse 6. Uh, you might not have ever heard of the believer's authority. You might not even know what that means. Um, we're going to do a lot of defining of terms. And you know how I get on Wednesdays. This isn't Sunday. I'm not trying to burn through a series and I'm not just trying to you know, cover one simple topic. This is a Wednesday. And um, uh, so we're going to get deep and we're going to take our time. I'm not going to rush through any of this. I've got a lot of verses and I've got a lot <clears throat> that I want to say today. But uh, if I don't get to it or if I feel that maybe we need to slow down, um, then we will because I'm not in any rush. And uh, I'm not going to tell you this is a four-week or six-week or a 12-weeker, this could be another couple months because there's plenty here um, that we could stay in for a while. But bottom line is uh, people, we said this last week, you're not destroyed and you don't fail in life and you don't fail overcome because of who you are. Not because Jesus failed to equip you with everything you need to be a winner, to be victorious, to overcome in situations. It's not because God left something out of you that he didn't give to somebody else. Um, it, it's not that God gave someone a special gift to do something and not you, and so you just have to trudge through life while other people are overcoming and winning battles. That's not the reason. The reason is because it's who we think we are. Um, and, and if you don't know who you are, then you won't walk in who you are. and You won't be who you are, period. And so here in Hosea chapter 4, Hosea chapter 4, in verse 6, God is talking to his people and he says, My people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge, because you have rejected knowledge. I also will reject you from, bring, from being priests for me. He says, My people are destroyed. Because of what they don't know. My people are destroyed because of what they refuse to know. We said last week we talked about position versus perception. 
And we said that you don't fail in life because of who you're positioned to be. You fail in life because of who you perceive yourself to be. God has placed you in a position. And we talked about last, that last week, and we gave a, a very quick introduction. But that introduction is what we're going to be getting into in the next few weeks because believers, Christians, don't know what took place when they said, Jesus, come into my heart, I make you the Lord of my life. We don't even know what, what, that, what, we don't even know what that means. We have no idea. If you ask most believers, if you ask most Christians, why did Jesus come to the earth and what did he do for you? He forgave me of my sins, saved me from hell, gave me access to heaven. And that's it. And we have just bypassed the middle realm. And so people don't know why they're on the earth. Christians don't know why they're saved. Christians don't know why they prayed the sinner's prayer. Christians don't know why they pray. Christians don't know why uh, the, we have the Bible and why we're supposed to read it, what, what it means to grow up spiritually. We don't know those things because we've, we've made this huge deal about getting people saved and converted to Christianity. We get people excited about that, but then we forget everything in between. And so in this series, I want to identify, I want to show what God uh, did for mankind. What Jesus did by coming and dying on the cross. What is that? What, what did that really do for us? We're going to take a look at that. So I want to open up in prayer real quick. I read that verse as an intro because we see that God's people, us, believers, Christians, we're destroyed for a lack of knowledge because of what we don't know. So, Father, I thank you this evening that we are a people that want to know. We want to go deeper. We want to know your word. We want to know who you are. We want to know who we are. We're not satisfied with just saying a prayer and, and drudging through life and, you know, making it to heaven one day. There's more that you have for us, and we want to know what all of that is. So, Father, I thank you right now that we have ears to hear. We have eyes to see, that our, our, our hearts are open, our minds are receptive to the word. We get rid of everything that would come contrary to what's spoken tonight, everything that would try to hinder us from hearing the word. Father, I know that we have people here that may have come straight from work, or we've had long days, long weeks even, and Father, I thank you that right now we put all that aside because there's nothing more valuable than hearing your word right now. There's nothing more important that is going on in our lives than hearing this word tonight. Satan, you have no place, no position, and no authority. There will be no distractions and no confusion in the name of Jesus. And I thank you, Father, that we receive your word with clarity this evening in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I don't have time for distractions. We've got a lot to cover, and I need to make sure that you get this and understand. That's why I said that we're going to go slow. Um, I've got a lot of verses and a lot here, but we are going to take our time. I'm not in a rush to get any of this across to you. So go over to Romans chapter 5. 
Romans chapter 5, in verse 17. We looked at this verse last week when we talked about position versus perception. Romans 5, verse 17 says this, For if by one man's offense death reigned through the one, much more those who receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. If you have received the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness, you will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. So let's stop here and let's define some terms. To qualify to reign in life, there's a qualifier here. You have to receive, one, the abundance of grace, and two, the gift of righteousness. What does that mean? One, the abundance of grace. It says that you are saved by faith through grace, not on your own works, not on your own merit, which means that when Jesus came and you accept what Jesus did on the cross, you're accepting that it's nothing that I could have done that has redeemed me from hell and has given me a new life. I wasn't a good enough person. There's not enough good things I can do. I can't feed enough homeless people and, and help out enough poor people and, and, and give enough to my church to be good enough to receive what Jesus did. It was an abundance of grace, which means unmerited favor. And I'm not going to get all into that, but there's a lot more to say about grace. The second qualifier is, and of the gift of righteousness. Well, over, uh, I believe it's in Philippians, that Paul says, you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Well, what in the world is righteousness? What in the world does that mean? That's a big word. That's a very churchy term. But righteousness is very simple. Righteousness actually isn't a religious word at all. It really has uh, not much to do with church righteousness is a political or a more, better said, a government term. Righteousness means you are in right standing with the governing authority. Okay, so two qualifiers. One, I have to understand that when I got saved, it wasn't because of what I did. It was because of God's grace. Second qualifier is I need to be in righteousness. Well, by me accepting what Jesus did, I am now the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, which means I am in right standing, which means, and you know when you're in right standing or wrong standing. You know. Uh, when you were a kid, you, know, you knew when you were in right standing with your parents or when you weren't in right standing with your parents. As an employer, you know when you're in right standing with your boss or you're not. If you show up 15 to 20 minutes late to work, you know you're not in right standing. Right standing simply means you know when a cop comes if you are in right standing or not. Very simple. If I drive down this road and there's a red light and I stop at the red light, I'm in right standing. A cop could come, pull up behind me and say, you just ran that red light. But I know, no, I'm sitting at the red light. I did not blow through it. I did not go through it. Why? Because I'm in right standing, which simply means 
me and you are good. Me and you are right. Okay, so now we've seen the qualifiers. Let's put the verse back up there. We've seen the qualifiers, abundance of grace, gift of righteousness. Do we have any abundance of grace and gift of righteousness people in here right now? Yes. If you have accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, there's your qualifier. So that means you will reign in life. Reign. What does this word reign mean? Reign simply means to govern, to have control, to have dominion. That's what reign means. That means that you dictate things. Things don't dictate you. So if you qualify, if you have received the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness, then you will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. It said, if by one man's offense death reigned through the one, well, what was the one man's offense? Adam and Eve, they disobeyed God, and because of what they did, everybody was born into sin. So if, if by one man that could happen, much more those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life. This is where we get stuck because this verse is in the Bible. It's in Romans chapter 5, verse 17. It's in there. I'm not making it up. Nobody else made it up. It is in the Bible. The Word of God, this Bible, although penned and physically written by man, is inspired of God, which means it's true. It's not a joke. It's not a lie. It's for real. So God says that if you receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness that my son has made available to you, then you will reign in life. Then you will dictate. Then you will govern. You will control in life. But the problem is not a lot of us are doing that. So that's why we talk about the believer's authority. And for a lot of people, that's a foreign term. Believer's authority? I have authority? Oh, you must mean God has authority. No, that means that you will reign in life through Jesus Christ. This verse, also written in the Amplified, I just want to read it to you. Um, if you have the Version app, it's, it's in there, and uh, you can, again, follow along with the verses and follow along with the notes there. But Romans chapter 5, verse 17 in the Amplified Version says this, For if because of one man's trespass, lapse, or offense, death reigned through the one, much more surely will those who receive God's overflowing grace, unmerited favor, and the free gift of righteousness, putting them into right standing with himself, watch this, reign as kings in life. Through the one man, Jesus Christ. Says that if you receive the unmerited favor, grace, and the right standing, the position of being in right standing with your father, righteousness, then you will reign as kings in life. When you're a king, there's no one or anything that can tell you what to do. In your kingdom, in your territory, 
But there are two things that are required if you're going to reign. There's two things that are required. First thing is authority. You have to have authority. You can't reign. You can't rule over a territory if you don't have the authority, if you have not been authorized to rule over that territory. Okay? Obviously, that's the easy one. Here's the second one. You got to have territory. So you have to have authority. Somebody has to have given you authorization. But then you have to have territory. You are not a king. And you rule over nothing if you don't have a territory. In fact, the word kingdom, the word kingdom is made up of two words, king and then dumb, which comes from domain. Basically, a kingdom can be defined as a king's domain. If you don't have authority, you don't have control in a territory. But you can't be authorized to control something if you don't have a territory to control. So, where is our authority? Where does it come from? Who gave it to us? And what is our territory? Well, we see here that the abundance of grace, gift of righteousness, allows us to reign in life. This life. Today. This life that we're in today. We are to reign as kings in life. Well, to be able to really look at this, to be able to understand where our authority came from, how we got authority, what the territory is, what are we supposed to be controlling, what, is, what are our limitations, what are the boundaries, what are we allowed to control and what are we not allowed to control, you got to go to the beginning. You got to go to the beginning. You got to go to the beginning. So let's go to Genesis. Genesis obviously is the first book and we're going to go to the first chapter in the first book. So, so far we have noticed that as Christians, as believers, we are supposed to be ruling. That means things aren't supposed to be dictating us. Things aren't supposed to be telling us what we do. Things aren't supposed to be telling us where we go, what we say, and we, we're not supposed to be just putting up with life as it comes. We're supposed to be calling the shots. I heard someone the other day say, uh, there's two kinds of people that wake up every morning. There are those that get out of bed and wonder what's going to happen. And then there are those that get out of bed and they make something happen. Two people. Do you get out of the bed and go, wonder what I'm going to do today? Or do you get out of bed with an agenda and a purpose and a design? And you know, this is what I'm going to do today. This is what I'm supposed to do today. Do you get out of bed wondering what's going to happen or making something happen? Well, Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, this is right after God creates the entire earth, and after he creates the earth, in verse 26, it says, Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness, and let them have dominion. There's that word. Over the fish of the sea, birds of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps 
on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Or it means basically have dominion over it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So in, here in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, he has just given man... An agenda. He's given man, he's basically saying when you wake up tomorrow, you're not going to wonder what happens. You're going to make something happen. You're going to be one of those that you wake up and you have something to do. You have something to control. You have dominion. Uh, first thing that I want to shoot down, uh, we have that little phrase that we like to say a lot. God is in control. That is not a true statement. As of Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, God is not in control. Now, you know, we go to the other side. Well, if God's not in control, then what in the world's going on? He is in control of one thing. He is in control of one thing. He's in control of his word. Well, God is sovereign. He's going to do whatever he wants to do. No, he's not going to do whatever he wants to do. He's going to do whatever he says to do. See, that's what you call a man of your word. That's what you call a man of his word, is someone that when he says something, sticks by that no matter what. Come on, we've all got friends, and we've all come into relationships or contacts with people where they said one thing, but something happened and they broke their promise or they changed their mind or they didn't stick to their word. But that's what makes God different from everybody on this planet, is that when he says something, no matter what happens, he sticks to his word. And he finds a way to resolve a, and, uh, resolve a situation, come up with a solution that agrees with his word. But in this verse, God has given all control and all authority to man on the planet, over the earth, over the fish of the sea, birds of the air, the only thing that he has not given man control over is each other. Which means man was never designed to rule over someone else. He didn't give man the authority to rule over someone else. And he gave man a territory. What was the territory? The earth. Right here. This is the domain this is the king's domain. The Bible says that he's made us to be kings unto him. On this earth, we are the ones in control. Beginning here in Genesis, we are the ones that had control. We ha Man was given so much control. I like to put it this way. If God had created Adam and Eve on any other day of the week, they would have finished creation. That's why he had to save man for last. Because if he gave man control on the third day, and the trees weren't here yet, and the fish weren't here yet, and the cows weren't here yet, then it's up to man to get that done in the earth. That is how much control 
God gave to man. That's why he gave, uh, brought all the animals to Adam and said, you name them. He said, you control it. You take care of it. You fill the earth and subdue it. Meaning, you need to have a lot more like you. Notice that, man, that God has never put another person on the earth the way that he put Adam. Whose job is it to put more people on the earth? Ours. It's called reproduction. <laughs> it's our job to put man on the earth. It's our job to fill the earth. God isn't creating any more people by molding the clay and then breathing into it. He's not doing that process. Why? He doesn't have the authority to. Now, I know it sounds weird to say that God doesn't have authority in something, but God is a king, and he has a kingdom, which means he has a territory, and that's heaven. So, if he gets outside of the realm of heaven, he's not in his territory anymore. He's not in his, uh, a word that maybe we, some of us may know today is jurisdiction. You know, within this county, there are police officers that have a certain jurisdiction. There's uh, county officers. There's Valdosta police. There's even Hayhira police. Lake Park police. Yeah, they have a jurisdiction. But then outside of this, you have Georgia State Patrol. And outside of that, you may have, uh, you know, you got your highway patrol. But then outside of that, uh, you've got U.S. Marshals. And then the FBI. There's governing authorities. There's a, there is a Lowndes County local government. But then out of, outside of that, you can go up to Atlanta and you can get the state government. Then you can get the federal government. Then you get the Supreme Court. And you get up high enough and you got someone up there sitting in a big white building in Washington, D.C. that can call the shots all around the world. He's the dr jurisdiction. You have a territory. You have to have authority. And you have to have a territory. So in this verse, he says, uh, Then God blessed them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it. He, he names the territory. Then he says, Have dominion over fish of the sea, birds of the air, every living thing that moves on the earth, and over all the earth. That means nothing in the earth should be telling you what to do. Now, I know that sounds hilarious. There ain't no dog going to tell me what to do. There's no, there's no cow or horse that's going to tell me what to do. Oh, really? I know some cows that tell some people what to do sometimes. It's called meat. It tells you when you're going to eat and when you're not going to eat. They can, they can talk. You didn't know a cow could talk, but they can talk. How about a tree? Ain't no tree going to talk to me. Really? Nicotine, that talks to people. Tobacco, that talks to people. How about this one? Where does money come from? <laughs> it is a paper, and it comes from a tree. And I'll tell you right now, trees talk. They'll get you out of bed when you don't want to get out of bed. 
They'll make you work overtime when you're ready to go home. They'll make you come in on your day off. Trees can talk. Trees have something to say. They're dictating the shots. And here in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, God said, you are in control. You subdue the earth. You make the earth work for you. You don't work for the earth. Now you take care of it. You till the ground. You work the ground. You make sure that it's being fruitful and it's multiplying and it's reproducing. But it's not supposed to call the shots in your life. It's not supposed to dictate things. Okay? Fill the earth and subdue it. Well, this is all good and well. Actually, let me do this. Let me go over to Psalm chapter 115. Psalms chapter 115, verse 16. It says, The heaven, even the heavens, are the Lord's. But the earth he has given to the children of men. It says, The heaven, even the heavens, are the Lord's. But the earth he has given to the children of men. I want to pull this up in... um. A different version here real quick. I have it in the Amplified as well. And in the Amplified it says, the, heaven, the heavens are the Lord's heavens, but the earth he has given to the children of men. So what's he talking about? He's talking about territory. Well, I thought, I thought the earth belonged to God. You're absolutely right. This is where we have to define the difference between ownership and rulership. Ownership and rulership. See, there's a difference between owning something and controlling something. And we've done this many times before. But I can own something, but place it in someone else's control. If you rent a house, you don't own it. But the house is in your control. And you don't call your landlord to find out what temperature to put the thermostat on. And you don't call your landlord to ask him when you're allowed to come in and when you're allowed to go out and if you want to make this room an office or if you want to make this room a bedroom. You don't call a landlord and say, hey, where should I put my TV? Why? He owns it, but he's put you in charge of it. He's put you in control of it. And if anything happens on the property while you're there, that shouldn't take place. He's going to go to the person in control of it. Not going to go to the owner. So ownership is not the same as rulership. And God owns the earth. How does he own it? By right of creation. He creates it, therefore he owns it. But he placed it in someone else's hands. In very capable hands, let me tell you, he had no problem giving the earth to Adam and Eve. He had no problem. Adam and Eve had the problem. Not him. He knew, I have given you every resource, equipped you with everything you need, empowered you to rule the earth, take care of this garden the way that I've commanded you. 
and to do it the way I would do it. This is authority over a territory. Okay? So, there's a problem that comes in. Genesis chapter 3, in verse 1. Now we've got a problem. Because there is an obligation, a responsibility that Adam and Eve have to take care of the garden, to take care of the earth, you can't just do what you want to do. Even though Adam and Eve are in control and in authority, they're not above authority. And they're not without authority. And so in Genesis chapter 3, verse 1, it says, Now the serpent was more cunning than the beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but the fruit of the trees which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. So she is talking to a beast of the earth that she has dominion over, according to Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, 27, and 28. Eve is created in the image of God. Eve uh, has the authority and the dominion to subdue the earth, to call the shots, and dictate, govern, rule, reign on the earth. She's got the resource. She's got everything she needs. She's been equipped. But she's talking to a snake. And the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be open, you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. So obviously we know that because of this, this was the first sin, and the word sin is simply and all it means is disobedience to authority. That's all it is. You want to categorize it and say this one's worse than this one, or at least I didn't do that. But bottom line is, it's, sin is disobedience to God's word. God said, do not eat. The snake said, go ahead and eat. And she obeyed one over the other. We talked about this a couple about a month ago, maybe a couple months ago, we said there's two voices and one truth. And she had an opportunity, which voice will I give myself to? Two voices, one truth. And so she gave herself to the voice that was contrary or against what God said. Well, here's the problem. If you can't remain under authority, you can't be in authority. Your inability to obey authority, to remain under authority, will remove you from a position of authority. Adam and Eve found out real quick that their disobedience to God had very, uh, very valuable connotations. And if they 
went against God's word, if, if they disobeyed what he was telling them to do, then there was a price to pay. And the price was the entire kingdom. The price was the authority. The price was rulership on the earth. Adam and Eve did not lose a religion. Adam and Eve did not lose a belief system. Adam and Eve did not lose, get this, an opportunity to go to heaven when they die. Because you won't find anywhere in there in the first three chapters that they're running around trying to figure out how to get to heaven. Well, God, we just want to be up there with you. You know what happens if you get outside of your jurisdiction? You're not in authority anymore. See, Adam and Eve's authority worked in one place, the earth. If Adam and Eve go to heaven, I'll tell you right now, if you go to heaven, you don't have any authority there. You don't call the shots. You don't control and subdue. That's up to somebody else because somebody else rules that territory. You have to back off. You know, if, if there's a, a, a murder case going on in Lowndes County and maybe, you know, the, the police here locally were taking care of it, but if the FBI come in and say, you know what, we need to step in, they lose it. Lowndes County Police Department backs off and maybe they can help assist, but they're not calling the shots anymore. Well, I think we need to take this. FBI's in charge. We're running this thing. What was that movie with uh, oh, uh, Tommy Lee Jones and uh, oh, the old guy? Who's a, the fugitive? Yeah. Remember the, the local police were trying to find out where, uh, what was the doctor's name? The actor. Harrison Ford. I'm thinking Richard Gere, wrong one. Harrison Ford. Remember, they're trying to find him. And the local guys, you know, they're all, you know, the police, they're trying to find them, and they got the case. And then Tommy Lee Jones, being a U.S. Marshal, shows up and says, you're off the case. We got it now. For whatever reason, they were no longer necessary. And so he steps in. Why? Because a, a jurisdiction a, and a, a, an authority above them showed up and took over. If you go to heaven, you don't have any authority. Your authority and your power, your authorization is here in this realm. That's why that verse said, you reign in life through Jesus Christ, not in heaven. So Adam and Eve, they didn't lose a religion. They didn't lose a, a belief system. They didn't lose access to heaven. They gave up. They lost the ability to reign in life. See, now that now you understand why Romans 5:17 is so important. Basically what he's saying is if through one man you lost your ability to reign in life, then how much greater through one man's obedience did you gain the ability to reign in life? He's saying through through Adam because of his sin, you lost the ability to reign in life. You lost your authority. But through Jesus, because he obeyed, because he did what he was called to do, 
Now you have access to reign in life. It doesn't say because of one man's obedience, you get to go to heaven. It doesn't say because of one man's obedience, you're now saved from hell and all your sins are forgiven. See, now we've got to answer the question, why did Jesus really come? Why did he come to the earth? What was his mission? Okay? But first thing we need to see is that God is now in what I like to call, he's in the great dilemma. God has a problem. For the first time, he's got a problem. And notice this, his problem wasn't when Satan showed up. That was never the problem. God had no issue with Satan creeping and crawling around in that garden. The problem showed up when man gave in to the snake. When man gave up his authority. Because here's what happened. God created man whom he loved so much. Gave him authority over something he created that he wanted man to rule the way he would rule. But now this thing, the earth, has ended up in his in his worst enemy's hands. Now the earth belongs to someone else, and not just someone else, to someone that rose up and tried to take everything that God had in the beginning. And that's why he was cast down to the earth. So God's got an issue. Now we got a problem. I know it sounds weird to say God had a problem, and for him it wasn't a problem because eternity is in him, and he already had an answer to the problem before he got into it. Just to let you know, you're created in the image of God, and before you got in your problem, you already got the answer. <laughs> he already sees you out of the problem. In fact, he had you out of the problem before you got yourself into the problem. He's got it all situated. He's got it all worked out. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. He's got all the answers. So, God has a problem. What is the problem? He's the only one that can get man out of this mess. God's the only one. He's the only one. In the entire universe, there's no angel. There's no man good enough. There's nothing he could do except get the kingdom get the authority, get the rulership back to man. He's the only one that can do it. But we still have a problem. I can't go down there. I can't get the kingdom back into man's hands because only man has access to the earth. What do I do now? And you're thinking, wow, God just pigeonholed himself. He just, he just locked himself in because he's the only one that can do anything about this predicament. But he's also the only one that can't do anything about the predicament. I'm the only one that can go down there and save man from this disobedience. I'm the only one that can restore man back to authority. But... Because of what I said in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, only man has authority. So, 
I've got to find a way to get myself in a flesh form to take care of the situation. And look in Genesis chapter 3. I mean, he didn't wait very long. Uh, he goes, you know, through, you know, they go on down. He ends up showing in the garden and, and saying, hey, Adam, where are you at? And he said, you know, I'm over here. I hid myself because I'm naked. And he said, well, who told you you were naked? Well, you know, uh, you know, we, we just figured out that, man, we've been naked this whole time. What in the world's going on? So uh, he goes on down and he says, well, who did this to you? Well, this woman, she gave me the fruit. And then Eve says, well, this snake, he gave me the fruit. So God doesn't take very long. And in verse 14, so the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, you are cursed more than all cattle, more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go, and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. And watch this. He, he shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. What's he talking about? Who's he? Jesus. I mean, we're not even minutes outside of this issue with Adam, and he's already got the answer to how to fix this thing. He realizes, I'm going to have to put myself in flesh, make him perfect, and then I can fix this situation. So right here we see that God wasn't trying to work out a way to get man to heaven. He's trying to work out a way to get heaven back in the earth. Wow. I'm telling you, man, I, I, I grew up in great churches. I grew up hearing awesome stuff. I have parents that, that vowed to keep me in church even when I maybe didn't want to be in church. And they kept me surrounded by that. I, I, go, I grew up in a great home, but I'd never heard this. And I was conflicted. I had to come to a point in my life where I'm saying, wow, Jesus came and it had nothing to do with heaven. God didn't change his plan. He didn't change his mind. He didn't say, forget this whole earth thing. Let's just get them all to heaven. And we've made heaven the focal point. That's why we don't hear about believer's authority. That's why we don't hear topics like this. We don't hear words like reign in life and rulership and authority and control and dominion. I mean, here's what we have broken the Bible down to. Here's what most people have done. Jesus, or uh, God, created the earth in Genesis chapter 1. He put man on the earth. Man failed. Then you know what we do? We skip all the way to Matthew. We skip Exodus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, 1st and 2nd Kings, Samuel, Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah, Psalms, Proverbs, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel. Uh, we, we skip all past the, the, the prophets, Jonah, Daniel, Nahum, Habakkuk. What is that? What, what kind of name is that? Obadiah, Zephaniah, Zechariah. 
Malachi. We skip all over that. And we go to Matthew. And we look at Jesus' life and we say, what a good person. Thank you for proving to me that he was a good person. So when he goes to the cross for my sins, I know he's worth it. We don't look at anything he says. We don't look at anything he did. We don't look at anything that he was about. A good person died on the cross so I could, what? Go to heaven. And so then we skip past uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We've only taken portions. So far, we've, we've read Genesis 1, 2, and 3, and Matthew, uh, you know, around 20, when he goes to the cross. <laughs> it's about it. Then we skip Acts, Romans, 1st, 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, Thessalonians, Titus, Philemon, Timothy. Skip all that, and then we go to Revelations. And, wow, Revelations, that's got a whole lot of weird stuff, but I like chapter 21. And then uh, we see uh, heaven coming out of the sky, new Jerusalem, gold streets, no more crying, big pearly gates. Ta-da! And that's our Bible. We just skipped so many books. There's 66 books, and we just read four chapters. And maybe not even the whole chapter, maybe just the good verses. That's what we have done, people. So no wonder we're so confused. No wonder we don't know why even God created the earth. How many of you have ever said, man, when I get to heaven, I'm going to ask God this. Why don't you ask him now? The greatest questions we can come up, Bible-related, are, were there really dinosaurs on the earth? Is that the best Bible question we could come up with? Who was the oldest man? How did people really live 900 years? These are the questions we ask ourselves. I've asked myself that question since I was two. Were there really dinosaurs? Are those two weird creatures named in the Old Testament, were they dinosaurs? That's the best we can come up with. Nobody wants to know why did God create the earth? Why did he give man control? What did man really lose in the garden? What is heaven all about? Why am I here? What is this all about? Why do I need to have a job? Why do I need to have kids? Why do I need to raise kids? Why do I need to be such a good person? Why do I need to ask Jesus into my heart? What does that mean to ask Jesus in my heart? Is there a little box inside my heart that Jesus fits in and he lives in there? And if I don't feel like living for him, I can take him out and put him on the shelf and go do my party thing and come back and put him back in my heart and go to church the next morning and say, Dear Jesus, I thank you. You forgive me of everything that I did last night as if he wasn't there seeing the whole thing that we did last night. That's, that is the basis of Christianity. So believers' authority, well, sure, there's no surprise why we don't hear these topics. We're not asking these questions. We're not... Wondering what Romans 5.17 says, because we skipped over that getting from the cross to heaven. We skipped over reign in life. We skipped over rule. We skipped over have authority. We skipped over you're a new creation. We skipped over. So we have to cover some things. And in doing so, I have to destroy a lot of stuff. Because I have to tell you what really took place. Why did Jesus really come? If Adam and Eve weren't searching for, the, for heaven, why are we searching for heaven? 
for some reason, we think somewhere in the midst of all this stuff, God changed his mind and said, it's no longer good for man to be on the earth. He just keeps messing up and jacking everything up that I was doing in the first place. Let's just forget the whole earth thing, and then uh, let's just bring them all to heaven. And somewhere in there, there's a tribulation. Somewhere in there, there's an antichrist. Somewhere in there, there's a 666 going on my forehead. Somewhere in there, uh, you know, there's, I'm going to have to stay here and go through all kinds of persecutions and sufferings. But maybe, but maybe not. Uh, you know, there's going to be seven years of tribulation, but then after, and we don't even know what that stuff is about because we're all just thinking, okay, when do I finally get to heaven? When do I get to build my mansion next door to Jesus? When do I get to, it got, he's up there working on it right now because that had to be what Jesus meant when he said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. Because that, that sounds good. So you get those little, pictures of Jesus because that's why he was a carpenter's son so he could learn how to build mansions so when he gets back to heaven he can build mine <laughs> we've we've put all this stuff together man and on top of all that God is in control on top of all that he's in control if I lose my job God is in control my kids go crazy. God is in control. People call me bad names. God is in control. If I can't keep from putting down this one addiction that's just ruling my life, God is in control. Whenever he sees fit that I get rid of this, he's in control. When sickness comes on my body, God is in control. He's trying to teach me a lesson as a test and a trial and I'm going to come out better on top. If you're not careful, you're going to come out worse in the ground. Because we ain't doing nothing about it here. Because God is in control. Why do good people die? And why do bad people get to have all the fun? God is in control. So, God had a plan. And Adam and Eve gave up their right, their dominion, and their authority in the earth. No longer in control. And so God, throughout the entire Old Testament, he's trying to get man back to him. He's trying to establish man to have a purpose in the earth. That's why he went to Noah and he didn't say, uh, I'm going to bring a flood so I'm going to yank you and your family out because you're the only righteous people, the only good ones on the earth. I'm going to bring a flood, destroy the whole thing, and you're just coming to heaven with me. No, he said, get inside of a boat that I'm going to tell you how to build, and I'm going to start over with you. And he says, I'm going to make out of you great nations. He tells him that. Well, that didn't last very long, so then we get to Abraham. He goes to Abraham, he picks a man that has no business having kids, can't have kids, he's 100 years old, uh, it's dangerous to even do what is necessary to have kids at his age, and he's having kids, and he tells them, you're going to have one, and he's going to be the father of many nations. Question, why is he continuing to find ways to repopulate the earth if 
we're all just going to end up going to heaven anyway. So, go on down through Abraham. Well, that didn't last very long. Because fallen man, sinful man, had this problem of we get lured to everything around us. And so, they end up going into captivity. This nation that he bears from Abraham goes into captivity to the Egyptians for 430 years. He raises up a man named Moses, and he drags his people out of Egypt. Why? Because there's a promised land. There's a land that I want you to dwell in. There's a land that I want you to control. There's a new garden of Eden that I want you to live in, control, work the ground, fill it, uh, subdue it, and multiply in it. Promised land. Well, they spend 40 years wandering around in a wilderness just trying to get to the promised land. Then they finally get in the promised land. Joshua takes them in. I'm telling you what the Bible is all about because we've skipped over all this stuff. Joshua takes them into the promised land where they're supposed to live, where God's specific people. There's other nations out there. The Israelites are not the only ones on the face of the planet. There's the Malachites. There's Philistines. There's Midianites. There's all kinds of dangerous stuff going on in the promised land, but it's the promised land. So he's telling them to go into the land that I've already promised you, already given you, control it, take over this nation, take over that nation, take over this town, control this city, take this down, get rid of these gods, get rid of these idols, get rid of these wicked people, and you establish yourself as my people in that territory. Well, didn't last very long. Because then we get to Judges. And God's people, instead of going to where the Philistines were and destroying the Philistines and conquering them, they ended up just doing what the Philistines were doing. Oh, hey, what's, what's that over there? Hey, I want to worship that too. I want that idol in my house. I want to marry those kind of, those kind of women. I want to live with those kind of people. I want to have fun and parties like y'all are doing. I mean, we're here to destroy you guys, but it really seems like you guys are having a lot more fun than we are, so let's just become like you. And so now God's people, instead of being separated and getting rid of all the wickedness, became just like them. And so Judges is a book of a very detrimental cycle where they would fall into sin. Worshipping gods, worshipping idols, marrying women they're not supposed to be marrying, uh, becoming just like the nations that, the, that they're supposed to be destroying. And they would find that their enemies would come against them and start winning. Then they would pray. God, why is this happening? God, what's going on? Why are all these people destroying us? Why are these people taking our homes? Why are these people taking our lands? Why are these people taking us captive? You promised us this land. Well, here's the problem. You uh, went into this land, and I gave you a command to take care of it all, and you're just becoming like what they're doing. You're living in sin again. And you're worshiping gods when I gave you a very direct command off of the mountain on stone tablets, have no other gods before me. You're worshiping other idols. So, the Philistines are going to come against you. The Midianites are going to come against you. The Amalekites are going to come against you. And they're going to destroy you. 
And then they finally would ask God for mercy. Ask God, please deliver us. Please help us. And so then God would send them judges. That's why it's called judges. And that's where Samson comes in. That's where Gideon comes in. God would raise up these men and supernaturally give them the ability to deliver God's people. Samson killed a thousand Philistines with a donkey's jawbone. Gideon, who was the least in his family, and his family was the least in this tribe, and he came from the smallest tribe, and he goes to that man and says, you are going to lead my people out, and you're going to do it with 300 men, 300 men against 120,000 men, and you're not even going to have to fight. That's what God would do because of his mercy, because of his grace, deliver his people. But they just kept in this cycle. They do all right for a little while, live okay for a little bit, and then end up going right back to the same thing, repeating the cycle. Well, then God's people realize, you know what? We don't, we don't want these judges anymore. We want to be like the other nations. We want a king. And Samuel, the prophet, who, is, who God raised up to speak to his people because Again, he's got to use a man. So he uses a man, a prophet. And at this particular time, we have Samuel. And Samuel goes, wait a minute, you already have a king. You already, you have a king that rules over you, who is your authority. Because remember, man wasn't given authority over each other. They were given authority over the earth. And so God says, that's okay, that's all right. They want a king, let them have a king. They haven't rejected you. They've rejected me as their king. Exact words. So now man wants a king, and we get Saul. We get David. We get Solomon. Hezekiah. Josiah. And on down the line. But when you go through that line, in 1 Kings, 2 Kings, 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, First Chronicles, Second Chronicles. When you go down the line, you find out there were hardly very there weren't there weren't very many good kings. And so we go on through this, and we go through a million different kings. The nation of Israel ends up getting split into two kingdoms, each having their own king have maybe four or five good kings out of the whole thing. And God says, enough of this. We have Isaiah. We have Jeremiah. We have Jonah. We have Micah. We have prophets that show up to tell God's people, if you don't change from your ways, you're going to be led captive. If you don't change from what you're doing, I'm going to destroy you. I'm going to smash you. I'm going to break you. I'm going to wipe you off of the face of the planet. And people, they're not even going to know who you were. Your names will be synonymous with curse words. That's how angry he was. Read Isaiah and Jeremiah. Not good stuff. Makes me wonder what's happening with this nation that we're in today. If that's how upset he was with those people. That's where Jonah comes in. What was Jonah supposed to do? What's the whole story of Jonah about? He was supposed to go to Nineveh to tell the city of Nineveh to quit sinning and turn back to God. 
That's what the whole rest of the Old Testament is about. Then we get to Malachi, and in Malachi, God says his last words, and he shuts his mouth for 400 years. Doesn't say a word. He says, I'm done with you. You're not listening to me. You're not obeying me. Uh, I'm sending prophets to you. I'm sending my, my, my priests to you. Your priests, you're going off, and, and you're, you're stealing the tithes. You're giving me uh, stuff that is the worst, what you have left over. That's what Malachi chapter 3. Give your, bring your tithes and offerings to the storehouse. See if I don't open up windows of heaven, pour out a blessing. I dare you to actually give your tithes and offerings. Quit bringing me the leftovers. The priests. The priests, the holy ones, they're not even living right. And I keep sending prophets to you, and you kill them. They took Jeremiah and threw him in a pit. When, when I send someone to you and says, change from your ways, change from your wicked ways, or you will be crushed and I will do away with you, you kill them, you throw them in pits, you abuse them, you laugh at them, you mock them. So he says, you know what? In Malachi, he says, that's it. He doesn't say another word. And between Malachi and Matthew, we have 400 years. They're called the silent years because God doesn't say anything. Not only that, but Babylon came in and took over God's people. That's where you get Daniel from because Daniel was an Israelite. Daniel was one of God's people. Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, all that stuff, that didn't happen in Israel. They got taken captive by the Babylonians who were a great and mighty empire greater than the United States took God's people, took them captive. I'm telling you what the Bible is about because you're not going to understand believer's authority if you don't know what's going on. And so they went through Babylon, they went through Persia, they went through the Greek and the Medes, and then they ended up in the hands of the Romans. God's people, the Jews, end up in the hands of the Romans. Enter Jesus. God's people at this time in Matthew, they show up, and I'm wrapping this up. I'm wrapping this up. No, I told you I'm not, <laughs> I'm not in any rush. <clears throat> Stay with me real quick. The, God's people are in captivity to the Romans. They're, the Romans were, uh, they became the most powerful empire. And really to this day, they're one of the most powerful empires that ever ruled on the face of the planet. Even to this day. We got China and we got the United States. But even above all that, the Romans, they just went out and conquered. And the great thing about the Romans is, for the most part, they would let people keep to their traditions and, and, and keep to their way of life. But there was still a way that they had to honor Rome. So the Jews, you know, they got to, they got to live in their... See, the Babylons, when, when the Babylonians came in, they took the Israelites, snatched them out, and took them back to Babylon. When the Romans came in, they conquered, they took over their territory, and then they took Romans, put them in the territory, and said, you can live here, but you're going to live here according to Roman law and according to Roman ways. You can still worship your gods, you can still do those things, but all in all, you're going to give allegiance to Rome. So, Jesus is born. He's not born in a kingdom. He's not born in a castle. He's not born in a palace like a king. But he's born in a barn. But still, there was something about his birth 
that sparked interest. Because over in Isaiah, over in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, we read this verse all the time at Christmas. This is our little Christmas verse, but in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, it says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. Who are we talking about? Jesus. And the government will be upon his shoulder. His name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it, establish it with, ju- with judgment, justice from the time forward, even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. So Jesus is born, not as just some normal person. Because if he was born as a normal person, why is the king, Herod, who's been placed in this Jewish territory by Rome, why is he so concerned? Why, when he finds out that this baby is born, of all the other babies born, is he so afraid that he goes and kills every baby two years and under just to make sure that this one doesn't live? Because Jesus wasn't born just anybody else. And it wasn't because Jesus was the Son of God. He wasn't afraid of Jesus because he was the Son of God. He wasn't afraid of Jesus because he was the Messiah or the Anointed One. Because even a king would be excited about that. Even a king would be excited that this one being born is could bring redemption for all of mankind. I mean, the Messiah, the Christ, the anointed one, God's son is coming? That's exciting. But King Herod, he was afraid of something else. He was afraid because the one that was prophesied wasn't just prophesied Messiah, wasn't just prophesied the Christ, wasn't just prophesied the anointed one. He's prophesied the king. The king of kings. The Lord of lords. So now we have a natural king that is fearful of this baby's birth. And that's how Jesus came. That's why Jesus came. And next week we'll get into it. What does that mean to be king? What was his kingdom? What was his territory? Because a king has to have territory. Who gave him his authority? Because the king has to have authority. What gave him the right to rule? What gave him the right to reign? What gave him the right to have authority? What was his territory? If we're talking about believers' authority, what gives you the right to rule? What gives you the right to reign? We've got to answer these questions. We've got to discover this. We have to discuss this because I'm going to tell you right now, you may not know what you did when you prayed that prayer. You may be able to remember the moment. I can. You may remember the day. You may remember the church. 
You may remember the person you prayed it with, the city. You might even remember the time of day, what you were doing. But do you know why? Do you know what took place? Father, we thank you for your word tonight. Father, we're honored that we can discover the potential, the authority that you have placed. You have authorized us, mankind. Your plan in the beginning, your original intent, your original design was not overrun. You didn't change your prerogative. You didn't change your mind and say, forget that. No, you created us to do more given us the ability to be more. Father, I thank you this evening that we were able to take some time to begin to discover what you did in the beginning, to learn how we are empowered, to learn what is it that gives us the ability to rule and reign in this life. Father, I pray that this sinks in. I pray that we give ear to it. We give it attention, not just tonight, but even throughout this weekend. Maybe even next week before we come to service on Wednesday. Maybe on Tuesday or the day on Wednesday, we'll listen to it again. That way it'll stir us up and we'll be ready for what you have to say next week. Father, we're excited about opening this up, discovering who we are in Jesus' name. Amen.